can be seated here this morning. We're going to ask our ushers to come and take up our Sunday school offering here today. by our heads. We're just going to pray the Lord's blessings. Lord, we thank you, God, for this time that we can give and invest into your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would bless both the gift and the giver here today. Lord, let it be used for your kingdom, your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't have a handout for you today, but if you want to grab your Bible, we're going to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 today, same chapter that we were in last week, if you were here with us last week, and we're going to kind of continue in that same vein of where we were last week. We began, and we're talking about, you know, what it takes to follow Jesus, and and for Jesus, we saw the temptations and the trials that began his ministry, we saw him being propelled into ministry after spending some time in the wilderness, and uh, it's not a an uncommon thing, but uh, we we've seen that in so many people's lives that wilderness time, the tests and the trials, the temptations that may come our way at different points in our life. But the temptations they don't come, in, you know, for us to um, for us to be weak, but they come so that we may, may be made stronger. And when we are able to uh, to resist temptation or able to overcome the trials, we come out the other side and and we're stronger. I don't know if anybody else has ever experienced that in your life, but I certainly have where you can come out stronger. Amen. And we see that uh, certainly in in the life of Jesus displayed for us. And we're going to continue there in Luke chapter 4, but... I want to want to just um, begin this with a little illustration here today. There was a uh, a tower that was built. It was following World War II in the German capital of Berlin, and in that, uh, of course, if you were um, a little older than than me, you would uh, you probably remember this. Um, but there was a a it's at the the end of that world war, there was that city of Berlin was split into two. It was East Berlin and West Berlin. And that divide between those two portions of the city was not just merely a, a wall that divided the city, but there was a completely different government. There was a different way that they, uh, that they ran the, the, the two sides of Germany, the East Germany and West Germany. You had on the one side, uh, you had the liberties and freedom. And on the other side, you had uh, a, a very communist nation. And it was in 1965 that East German communists commissioned the construction of a 1,207-foot-tall broadcast tower. If you could put that picture up here, it still stands today. This tower is called the Berliner Fürsturm, or the Berlin Television Tower. And it was built uh, in, in this uh, to, to uh, look like, uh, or to be, a model, be modeled after the Soviet Sputnik, uh, the, that satellite that went up into 
um, and, and circled the uh, circled the the earth, and uh, it was this pride of the communists of the fact that they were technologically ahead of the rest of the world, and and their superiority over the West and the the Germans there uh, building this in, in East Germany wanted to commemorate that. Now, if you know anything about the communists, they were ones that. They were atheistic. They did not believe in God. They did not, uh, they did not allow the freedom of religion. And there was, uh, soon after this was constructed, they soon realized that there was something a little bit wrong with their architecture. Because whenever the sunlight would reflect from that stainless steel sphere, it reflected the image of a cross. The rays of the rising sun would strike this tower and all across Germany, all across Berlin, anywhere that could see this, the residents, when they would wake up in the morning or whenever uh, they were going uh, in, the, in the evening time, that, that sun, it was reflecting a cross on that sphere. And this quickly uh, became a very ironic situation for them. In fact, they realized it and tried to do many different remedies to fix the situation because they didn't want that symbol of Christianity to be the display there in their country or in their, their capital. And this quickly became something that was known, uh, known around the, 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 the nation as the Pope's Revenge. The Pope's revenge. This was his way of getting back at them for their their views on God and for coming down uh, with that uh, with that uh, strong stance against God. It was, in fact, in his 1987 speech before the Brandenburg Gate that the then U.S. President Ronald Reagan noted. He said that the East German officials, they have repeatedly treated the sphere with paints and chemicals of every kind in an effort to keep the symbol of Christianity from shining throughout their city. He quote, or this quoting him, he said, yet even today when the sun strikes that sphere, that sphere that towers over all Berlin, the, the light makes the sign of the cross. And there in Berlin, like the city itself, Symbols of worship cannot be suppressed. He said symbols of worship cannot be suppressed. The atheistic East Germans, they discovered that while they may have rejected Jesus Christ and his cross, that his message was going to continue to be proclaimed. Even if he had to commission the rays of the sun to go and to project a symbol of Christianity there in that nation. He was going to have a messenger that was there in East Berlin, in East Germany. And I, I know that, you know, we, we today, we, at times it seems as though we live in a godless society and we uh, certainly see it heading in that direction. But I, I believe that God has commissioned even today for there to be messengers that would go into a lost world and that there would be those that even when we may feel all alone, that we, we would be the ones that are commissioned to stand as messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that in a lost world that there will be a, a, uh, a people that are going. There will be uh, a, a voice of God for a lost world. Amen. We see that here in that day, but we see Jesus also. When we look at the, the ministry of Jesus, we see him oftentimes going and proclaiming a message that was not the most popular message. He was going and he was somewhat stirring up trouble in the places that he would go because he wasn't just following along with the traditions of man, wasn't just following along with the traditional religion of the day, but he was going in and he was causing a stir. See, following the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, following his time when he was uh, being uh, when he was fasting for 40 days there in the wilderness, he came out of that. And it says, we'll open up now into that book of Luke chapter 4. If you can begin in verse number 16. I'm going to read this in the New King James today, but you can follow along. It says that he came to Nazareth. Now, if you know anything about Nazareth, this would have been the city that Jesus grew up in. This is the city he was, he was, of course, he was born in Bethlehem. Uh, and then his, his parents, Mary and Joseph, they, f- they fled from Bethlehem down to Egypt for a time. Uh, that was the time when, when Herod would have, uh, sent out to kill all of the babies. And, uh, so because of that, they, they were warned by God of, of that, um, of what was going to be taking place. So they fled to Egypt and then, Following their time in Egypt, they went to Nazareth. And so Jesus is going back to his hometown. It says he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. It's the very synagogue that Jesus would have grown up in. The very church building, the place where he would have visited every Sunday or every Saturday. Uh, every every time that they would go in to worship, this is the he's going back to his home church, and he goes and he stands up. He's he's invited to present the message on that day, so he goes and stands up to read, and he begins to read. He's handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. We op- when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has appointed me." To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus was uh, reading this straight from scripture. but uh, and, and it was a prophecy that was uh came out of the, the lips and onto the paper, uh, written onto the, the words of, of Isaiah's book there. And it was a prophecy that was proclaiming that which Jesus was then getting ready to fulfill. He begins to proclaim that, verse 20. He says, then he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture, this prophecy of one who would come and who would 
set at liberty the captives. One who would come and make the blind men be able to see. One who would come and begin to proclaim the day of the Lord. That, day, that scripture is fulfilled today. They, I, I can just imagine the, the tone or the, um, the way in which Jesus is saying this with such authority. And they, they notice that there is something different about this man. We've seen him grow up, but there seems to be something different about him. If we can continue there in verse 22, it says that all who were there, they bore witness to him and they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you that no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. None of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Okay, I'm laying a little groundwork, and we're going to come back through this today. If we can continue in verse 28. So all of those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. They rose up, they thrust him out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. These are the people he grew up with. They weren't happy with the words that Jesus had just said to him. They threw him out of the city. In fact, they threw him off the cliff. They were trying to throw him off the cliff. They didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. Verse 30, though, says, Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbaths, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. Now I want you to notice the difference between what had just taken place in his home country to what is going to now take place now that he's in Capernaum. And he said to this man who was in the temple, this man who was there in the synagogue, who was demon-possessed, and he said, he said, let us alone, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and it did not did not hurt him. There's two more verses here. Then they were all amazed and they spoke among themselves saying, what a word this is for With authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. We see such a difference between the way that Jesus is received in his home country of Nazareth to compare compared to how uh, what takes place there in Capernaum. See, those those who have moved away from the place where where they were raised, they, they usually appreciate the opportunity to visit home. You like to, to visit home every once in a while. And this is, 
you know, this is what Jesus was doing. He was, he was going to visit his home place. He was going back to where his, his mother was. Or we can assume that this is where Mary was still at. He's going back home. And when he goes there, we see him going into the synagogue, going into the, the, the place where they would gather together for worship. And he, he begins to get into the word. And, and as he begins to, to read this word and he, and he proclaims this message, this was more than just saying, I'm a, I'm another prophet that's come. This particular prophecy had such meaning attached to it that that was identifying him as the prophet. He was the promised one. He was the one that would come and take away the sins of the world. He was the one that was going to come and proclaim the day of the Lord, the, the, the very thing that they had been looking forward to all this time. And when he begins to say all of this, all, he's, he's saying more than just, I'm the one that's fulfilling a prophecy, but he's saying something about his identity. Now they grew up with him. They, they saw him growing up. They saw him playing out in the streets when he was a young boy. They saw him working in, a, in, in Joseph's uh, carpen, uh, carpentry shop and building, uh, building things for them. I'm sure that many of them perhaps had even purchased a table and some stools and purchased a, a, a bed and uh, a bed frame and, and different things from the hands of Jesus. They had seen him working in, in that capacity, but, but now they, uh, they, they see him coming back to his hometown, and you would expect, perhaps, that he would receive a warm welcome. And it seemed as though that is what took place at first. They welcomed him in. They, they said, go ahead. We, we'd love to hear from you. We, we hear that you have, uh, that you're kind of starting on a new path now. We want to hear what you have to say. And, and as he began to speak, all of a sudden some things began to turn into a, a little different mood in the, in the room. Jesus' former neighbors, they, they were willing to accept him as the son of Joseph and Mary. But to call him the son of God was way more than they were willing to consider. Instead of congratulating their hometown boy on what a great job he had done preaching that day. The audience, it says, was filled with wrath. They sought to throw Jesus from the nearby cliff. They didn't want to accept the words that Jesus had to say to them. You know, sometimes the people that we love the most, they don't accept the decision, our decision to follow God's call in our life. The reality is there are, there are some around us that when we do follow the call of God, they may not understand it. If you, if you uh, begin to, to feel God calling you and, and moving you in a direction or, or getting more involved in church and, 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 and more involved in not just the, the workings of the church, but more involved in, in what God has called us to, which is to go and to be a disciple and to make a disciple. Jesus, he called us to be disciple makers. He called us. We, every one of us has a call on our life. It's, it doesn't have to be 
uh, going into a Sunday school classroom and teaching a Sunday school class. It doesn't have to be coming up on a platform and, and teaching in this manner, but all of us have a call on our life. Every one of us has a call. Every one of us has a purpose in a, in a ministry, uh, which is to go and to make disciples, to reproduce of ourselves that those which, which would, uh, could then be introduced to this uh, wonderful life changing gospel. This gospel message can change somebody's life and you can play a part in this. We ought to play a part in this, but not everybody around us is going to understand that. When we start to follow Jesus fully, when we start to take this message to heart and to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not just going to let this be a part of my life, but I'm going to let this be my whole life. I don't want, I don't want church just to be a, a, you know, a, I'm not going to compartmentalize that into uh, Sunday, and that's the time when I, when I'm, uh, following or following God, but I'm going to let this become part of my whole life. When we, when you begin to make that shift, there's some, there's people that notice. And not everybody is going to be supportive of it. Not everybody is going to, uh, you know, to, to back you up and, and say, man, this is incredible. There's, uh, you're going to get some that are, that are going to come alongside you and, and they're going to say, eh, I've seen, I've seen you try to make changes before. I don't, I don't know if you can do this. I don't know if you can last. And, and, and there's, as, as we do that, we, we see that even those that are uh, closest to us, sometimes they're the ones that, uh, that, that may not believe in us. And Jesus certainly saw that take place in his life. And they, they had seen the, the mistakes in his life. They had seen the, the fact that, uh, you know, him growing up, that there were times that, you know, he was, uh, he, he would, he would fall down and, uh, he would scuff up his knee. And there were, there were times that, you know, he might ruffle a few fl- feathers as, uh, as, you know, he's playing with his friends and, and, you know, just as every kid growing up, you, um, uh, you get in a little tussle here and there. And, and they, they saw all of that with Jesus because he was growing up there and, and they saw, they knew all of his past. Not to say that Jesus had lived some rebellious past or grew up. In that way, but they, they saw him in a different light. And you know, the same is true with us. There's people that they've seen all of our ugliness. They've seen all of our past. But here, here's what we do when we, when we come in and we begin to say, I'm, I'm gonna make some changes in my life. Don't let the, the people from our past or don't let your past, which, which we might feel is haunting us. Don't let that hold you back from following Jesus fully and saying, I'm not going to let somebody else, somebody else's doubts about me stop me from following the call of my life. I believe that the call of God is the greatest thing that could ever take place when we begin to follow Jesus and to say, I'm not going to let this be just part of my life, but I'm going to go all in. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to follow Jesus in every aspect of my life. Amen. See, although not a biblical proverb, it's often true that familiarity breeds contempt. Has anybody ever, uh, here ever, uh, you have a favorite restaurant or maybe in your, your past you have a favorite restaurant and it's in a, maybe it's even, even a restaurant chain, but it's not around here. Anybody ever had that? I, I kind of had that experience. It wasn't a favorite, uh, my favorite restaurant per se, but 
I, I, I loved um, whenever I would go into a, a, a place that had Portillo's. And uh, when I would get, you know, go over to Chicago or down to, down to Indianapolis, they had a Portillo's. And it was, it was great. I loved going in there, getting their, getting their food. And I still love their food. But uh, they, they brought one here to, to Fort Wayne. It's fairly close. And uh, I was really excited when I first saw that they were bringing it in. And you know how many times I've been there since they brought it in? Uh, a couple of years ago, I think one time. Nothing against them. It was just for some reason, once it got close, uh, I went there and I was like, you know what? This is a little more expensive than I remember. When you're out on vacation or you're out traveling a little bit, it's like, and you may not think quite as much about that. But when something gets a little closer, it, it hits just a little bit different. And maybe the same is true. I mean, we have some restaurants that have come in, even in, in the town here, and it's like excited about it. And all of a sudden you go there, it's like, eh. The staff, you know, they treated me a little bit. You know, I wasn't like that impressed by it. And, and we, we can get, uh, you know, some, sometimes, uh, you know, even though we're eagerly awaiting something, as soon as it becomes really familiar, uh, we can sometimes not look at it quite the same and not hold it to the same same pedestal that we once held it to. The same as or we got to be careful about about the same thing as far as as far as our us in our in our walk with God that that we we don't want to become so familiar in and in, in just uh, the, the things of God that God has called us to that, that, uh, we, we begin to, uh, to despise or we begin to, uh, to walk away from the very call that God has for us. We don't want to become so familiar, uh, with, with, uh, even, even people in our lives that as they begin, uh, to, to pursue a call. There's, there's those even family members or there's, uh, people in the church that sometimes as we see a call of God on their life, we want to support that. We don't want to say, Hey, this is somebody I, I know you, all of your past. I know all of the things that you've been through. I don't think that you're hearing the, the voice of God right. No, let's, let's encourage. Let's say, come on, I see it. And I'm going to encourage you to go after this. I'm going to encourage you through all of the mistakes and all of your past, uh, you know, things that you've been through. I want to encourage the call of God on everybody's life that is beginning to go down that path. It's beginning to answer the call. Let's not let the familiarity of, 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 the, the fact that we've seen the bumps and the bruises and the things that, that somebody has, has done in their past to stop us from encouraging them. Let it be the same. Uh, let it be the same for us. Let's not allow those things to stop us. I mean, we need to be careful not to miss what God has for us because we become so familiar with him. See, New Testament believers must be on guard against becoming desensitized to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle John, he, he warned the members of the church of Laodicea in his, his book of Revelations. He says that they had become too comfortable with God. They'd become too comfortable with the Spirit of God. They didn't realize that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That the Spirit challenged them to anoint your eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. They needed to see themselves as God saw them. They needed to see themselves in a way. See, sometimes in, in our, in our walk, own walk with God, we can become just 
just familiar with the Spirit. And we can begin to walk, and we've heaped all these other things in our life, all these other, uh, you know, just, just things that don't belong there. And we, we, get, we, we get so comfortable just, uh, you know, just on, on a journey with God, and, and yet we, get so dis- we heap all these dis- other distractions on us. And, and what God is, is, is calling us to is to say, I don't want you to be familiar. I don't want you to be too familiar. Let's, let's get a fresh view of me. Let's let this be something just as it was on the very beginning. Well, I want a fresh fire. I want a fresh anointing on you. See, the longer we walk with God, the more that we need to be, uh, be on guard against the tendency to take him for granted. I don't want to take God for granted. I don't want to take the Holy Ghost for granted. I don't want to take any of this for granted. See, they, we need, we need to, uh, to get into the presence of God as often as possible. Because that is when you get that freshness of the Holy Ghost. I don't want to just, just go through life with, you know, living on yesterday's passion. And living on last year's prayers. I don't want to go through life living on all the stuff from my past. I want this to be something fresh. I want this to be something fresh. Let's not, uh, we, let's not be too familiar with the presence of God. Not, you know, to the point where, where we're just going through the motions. Let it be something that's fresh. Familiarity with God's word. And ways can ironically cause us to miss out on the work that he wants to do through us and in us. And when I say familiarity, I, what, I, what I mean is that it's just something that you're like, okay, I know all of that. I'm familiar with it, but I'm not allowing it to speak freshly into my life. I'm not allowing this to become something that is... Uh, that, that is coming new to me. I, I, I'm just familiar. I, I, I knew all that stuff from my past. I've, I've done it in my past. No, let's, let's get a fresh anointing. Let's get, let's have a fresh word spoken to us every morning when we wake up and say, God, what do you have for me today? God, what's, what's your word for me today? God, if I open up your word, what, what do you want going to speak to me today? I want this to be something fresh. Amen. We saw that familiarity that uh, bred contempt for Jesus uh, in, in the crowd or in, in his hometown. But we can do the same thing with God. When Jesus uh, begins to get so familiar with us, and it's just, you know, I, I know all that stuff. I, I grew up with it. I don't want to be that, that person in the crowd that's, that's just familiar with Jesus. I want him to be fresh. I want him to be the ones that are in Capernaum that see Jesus walking in. And it's like, wow, this is, this is something big. This is something, uh, you know, something fresh is happening today. In fact, there's somebody who's, who's bound and they're, they're, uh, uh, have a, a, an evil spirit in them and he's going to cast it out. And they saw that and they were, uh, they began to, to look at him and say, wow, this is somebody that we want to follow. This is somebody that we want to follow. See, God, he had promises for Gentiles as well as the Israelites. And this is really what ticked off the, the home crowd of, of Nazareth. Is when Jesus began to go in, he, he proclaimed by saying that this scripture is fulfilled today. He was saying, I'm the one. He was revealing his identity as the Christ, the Son of God. 
But he was also then going into a, a um, story that was from the Old Testament. Where Elijah went out during the midst of a famine. And he went into a Gentile nation, into Zarephath, which is a Gentile city. These are the people that God wasn't supposed to really care about, at least in their view. These are the people that they didn't worship God, and God isn't really supposed to bless them or help them out. And Elijah was sent to Zarephath in the midst of a famine, and he begins to tell this story. He says that he goes there, and God begin, God performs a miracle, not just for Elijah, but for the woman who, for this Gentile woman who cared for Elijah. He, he goes and he begins to, to produce the oil on a regular basis. He goes and she's able to have food in the midst of a famine. And this is something that it kind of stuck in the crawl of the Israelites. The fact that in the midst of a famine, when all of them were suffering, there was somebody on the outside that was being blessed. There was a Gentile woman that was being blessed while they were suffering in the fa- in the midst of the famine. And he, he says this, and then he, he adds to it when he says, oh yeah, and let me tell you about Naaman, a man that was leprous. Now Naaman, he was a, 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 a man in the Syrian army. He was an enemy of the Israelites, or he was uh, at least a, a Gentile that was leading an army that uh, that did not uh, was not friendly with the Israelites, and so they uh, he tells them about Naaman, and Naaman was a man who had leprosy. And what did God do to this Gentile uh, army officer? That uh, he, he went and he sent him to the prophet, and he went and he healed him of his leprosy. Again, he's saying, hey, this is open to anybody. This message, this gospel message, what what God's love is open to anyone. This goes beyond ethnicity. This goes beyond, come on, the ones who you might see around you and it looks like, hey, this is somebody, you know, that looks like me and talks like me and I can see them receiving this word. And he's saying, he's saying to them, hey, you in Nazareth, you guys in Nazareth, you look around and you see each other. And yet, uh, I want you to realize that this is going to be a lot bigger than just us here in Nazareth. This is going to be a lot bigger than just us Israelites. Because this message, what God is getting ready to do, is going to blow your mind. We're going to get, get ready to get past ethnicity. We're going to break down some barriers that we have. Come on, we have the same thing sometimes. We've, we fight the same struggles if we're honest. If we're truly honest about it. There's not to say that we are all, uh, you know, have, have big racism problems and all of that in the church, but there are times when we feel uncomfortable sharing the gospel with somebody that's so different. Because we say, I don't know how I can relate, but I, let me tell you that it's not about us. It's about the Spirit of God going and relating. And when faith begins to come, come on, this isn't about the boundaries that we set, but it's about somebody who would come to God in faith. And faith goes beyond those boundaries. Faith goes way beyond any of the boundaries that we have. And it was somebody, we've, when we begin to talk about faith and how faith changed us, and when I had faith in God, he did this for me and he did that for me. And all of a sudden they say, you know what? I have faith in God too. 
that faith translates. Faith translates beyond, uh, beyond race. It, it translates beyond ethnicity. Tr- faith, it translates beyond even language and, and different barriers that we have set up. Faith, it can translate beyond religions. When you can talk to somebody of another religion and begin to tell them about what God has done for you and, and they can, they can be changed and they can be healed and they can, come on, allow faith to begin to be built up in them where they see that my God, come on, has done the impossible. My God has done and moved mountains. My God has gone and he's healed somebody and faith can then go in and begin to stir something up in them and draw them to Jesus Christ. Jesus is trying to get them to, now they didn't like that message. This is why they ultimately threw him out and they said, no, we don't accept that. We don't accept what you're trying to tell us. So they threw him out of the city and they tried to throw him off of a cliff and, and Jesus, he walked past him and he says, all right, I understand that you, you don't want to see the bigger picture, but he goes and, 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 and here's the thing when, we just, we just need to follow Jesus. Well, in this day and age today, when, and if we're putting this into practice today, well, when you follow the call of God, it's got to get beyond just religion. It's got to get beyond just the comfort of, of coming in and seeing the people that you're familiar with. But I want these pews, I want these chairs to be full of people, the one that you're seeing for the very first time here. I want these pews to be full of, of a diverse population of people that are coming in here to New Life Apostolic Church that look different, that, that talk different, that, come on, I, I want this to be a place where we can come in and we say, let me just tell you about what the following Jesus looks like and what it's done for me. Come on, I want you to experience it right along with me. I want you to experience this message right along with me. And when we do that, come on, or when you see somebody doing that and you see somebody going and, 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 and you know, bringing somebody in and you say, I don't, you know, I don't know how I'm going to relate to them. Go and make it possible. Make, come on, make a connection somehow. Connect with those that they're bringing in. Come on, let's get beyond our, our own barriers and boundaries that we have. And let's allow God's word to begin to go into the hearts of those who are hungry for him. Amen. I know I'm, I'm going to be way past time if I completely finish all this today. So I'm not going to. Amen. But we see this message of Jesus that is translated beyond. And he's trying to get them to, to see that it goes beyond just us Israelites. God's promises are not just for those who are in the church. God's promises are for those who are not yet in the church. God's plan has always been bigger than any just one little select group of people. Even in the Old Testament, we saw those from the outside. Those Gentiles that come in to the fold. We see the, you know, the few people that are mentioned in scripture. I'm sure that there are far many, uh, more than just Rahab and Ruth and, and, um, and, and Naaman and, and some of these, uh, the, the widow and Zarephath. And well, I'm sure that there were many more than those, but uh, there were some that were pointed out to us in scripture, like Ruth and like and like the, uh, the harlot that was there and, uh, Rahab that was there in Jericho and, and we see them and now we really see 
how this plays a factor when they end up in the, the lineage of Jesus Christ. The Gentiles in the lineage of Jesus Christ. See, God's plan has always been so much bigger than just a select group of people. On the day of Pentecost, people, or Peter, he said that God's promises were for all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter didn't even believe his own words, though, because we see him being a little hesitant once the Gentiles start receiving the Holy Ghost. But the truth finally hit him when he had a, a vision and God began to, to make it clear to him that this is my will. One, I want all nations. I want everyone to begin to come in. And it's in Acts 10, 34 that it says, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Peter nearly allowed his cultural and his religious biases to keep him from participating in one of the most significant salvation moments in the history of the world, the first outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the Gentiles. And there in Cornelius' house. This is, the, this is a, a, a monumental moment. Monumental moment when God begins to come in and he pours out his spirit there in that household of Cornelius. And then we see, come on, that this goes beyond just the Israelites. This goes beyond just those of the Jews. This is, this is for the promises of God are for everyone. And come on, let us realize the same thing. This is for more than just the ones who grew up in a church believing in apostolic doctrine. This is for more than just the ones who grew up in a Christian household. This salvation message is for everyone. So let us follow the call of God to reach beyond the borders. Let us call, follow the call of God to say, come on, let me make a difference in somebody else's life. Somebody else, come on, they may not understand it. Somebody else may not understand my passion. Somebody else may not understand my zeal to go and make a difference in their life, but that's not going to stop me. That's not going to stop me. Amen. I have a whole lot more that we didn't get to today. But if we're going to, I'm going to just ask our, yeah, thank you, ask our musicians to come. And, and I just want to implore you today. Amen. That we would allow the call of God to begin to settle on us. As, as you open up the word of God and you, and you begin to read it, there's, there's a tug that begins to happen in your heart. If you read through the New Testament, I, I don't know how it can happen at some point when you begin to say, you know what? I need to reach that coworker of mine. I need to reach that neighbor of mine or that, that, that family member of mine who's lost. I, I need to go to them or that, that person that, that I run into every day at the coffee shop or that person on that I, that I see at the gym or that, that, on that person that, that I go and I, and I, and I go and just, just spend time with them and, and we, we hang out together and, you know, I, I need to let this be more than just a friendship, but let, let's allow this to be an opportunity for them to experience the gospel message. Amen. We're going to invite our kids. They're going to come here in just a moment. They're going to lead us in a time of worship. That's okay. You guys can uh, you guys can start to make your way. You can, 